Amen. Good to be with you today. Um, it's kind of a special day, in some ways really not special, but um, we've so enjoyed having Nate as our worship leader for the last five years, and now God's calling him off to, he, well, he's going to be a roadie on the Taylor Swift tour, but <laughs> no, he's helping plant a, get a church going up in Idaho, so his family's going to be moving, and so... And we're going to dedicate Ella. This big girl is, we wanted to dedicate her before she's in high school. <laughs> but being homeschooled, she probably is in high school, right? <laughs> no, but it, it's been such a blessing having these guys here. And, and we understand that everybody's on loan to us, you know? And so we're just so grateful for the opportunity to have been, had them around. And we're excited to see what God's going to do. So let's pray for Ella and then for the whole family. Want to come around? Oh, I don't want to fat shame her, but <laughs> she's getting big. <laughs> hey, Ella, look out. They're going to take a picture. <laughs> let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for this precious little girl bringing this life into their family, adding so much excitement and enthusiasm and just that feminine part of family. And so we're grateful for her. She's a gift from you. We look forward to seeing what you're going to do in her life. And Lord, for the Meist family, we just believe that your hand is on their life. It always has been. And now as they take this next step of faith, I pray that you would lead and guide them, help encourage them, open the right doors for them. And God, I just pray that they'll be especially blessed now in this next season of life. And we thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. <laughs> See you guys. <laughs> well, now we turn our attention to the church in Philadelphia in Revelation chapter 3. If you've been with us, we've been going through the seven churches that are addressed in Revelations chapter 2 and 3. Jesus writing specifically to seven churches that were around toward the end of the first century. It's such an important passage of scripture because it's Jesus' last word. Last we heard of him was 60 years or so before and now he's checking in with the churches and saying how they're doing. So there's just much that we can learn from Jesus' perspective after some time goes by on how the church is going on. Church in Philadelphia, the city of Philadelphia, well, all, it's not the one in Pennsylvania, it's in, it's in Turkey. Um, all of these churches form a big U as you start down in the bottom with Ephesus, work your way up, inland in Turkey, and now back down. And so Philadelphia, um, which Al-Shahir is what it's called today in Turkish, but um, it was a city that was prominent for a number of reasons in the first century. The city had been around for a long time. It, it actually got named Philadelphia before the Romans conquered the city. There was an ancient king who had named it Philadelphia, brotherly love, to honor his own brother. 
I, I don't even know. I don't even know if history records. Yeah, I think it does. His brother's name was something that wasn't worth naming a city after. So he thought brotherly love was a better one. So they named it Philadelphia. It's in a really fertile part of Turkey, in the middle of Turkey. It's also, though, in a, on an earthquake fault. So there were a lot of earthquakes, which, because of volcanic activity, which also sometimes makes an area really lush and, and green. And it was a, um, some people called it Little Athens, because they really tried to plant the Greek culture there. So they built a lot of temples. It was really beautiful. The ruins there still showing these big pillars that were there. Partly why they were doing it was, as the Romans conquered the Greeks and wanted to take Greco-Roman culture across the world, this was an island in the middle of, you know, the cities on the borders of Turkey, of Asia Minor, it was pretty easy to communicate with them because they were right on the Aegean Sea, they were, had access to Greece and But as you get into the inland, 100 miles or so, it's foreign territory. These had been these ancient kingdoms that went back, way back into the Persian days and, and, uh, you know, the days of the Babylonians and everything. And so they really wanted to unify the Roman Empire. And the best way that they could do that was by, by, you know, teaching them the language of Greek, Greek is a beautiful language. It's why the New Testament was written in it. And one of the best Old Testament translations we have from Hebrew was the Septuagint was translated into Greek. Greek's a very specific, accurate language. And it was pretty universal in those days. So they thought, we need to start teaching Greek in this area and then allow the Greco-Roman values and everything that we believe in to spread forth from that. So they actually, the Romans called Philadelphia a missionary city. It was the place where you could spread their Greco-Roman culture. Now it also became a strategic place for Christianity for the same reason. Here's a place that's in the middle of and adjoining basically a wilderness that doesn't have, you know, that doesn't know a lot about the Hebrew culture that doesn't know anything about culture, period. They're these little villages, and now you have a chance to win them over and spread them out. So the agenda of the Romans shared, in a lot of ways, the agenda of the Christians to take the gospel and spread it out. So Philadelphia was an important point for them in doing that. And so uh, the church in Philadelphia was a very influential um, church at that time. Now, in the seven churches of Revelation, Philadelphia stands out as one that Jesus doesn't say anything bad about. Now, when it comes to Smyrna, he hadn't said anything bad about them, but they were suffering so much. I just think he didn't want to dogpile them at that point. But Philadelphia, he has a lot of good to say about them and nothing bad at all, which is really makes them an interesting template to figure out, okay, How can we do church? How can we do life in a way that when Jesus looks at it, he goes, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. That's kind of what I'm looking for. And so it becomes a a really critical um, part of scripture for us. And so let's go ahead and look in Revelation chapter three, beginning in verse seven. He says, and to the angel, or as we've said, that word just means the messenger, 
perhaps the pastor, of the Church of Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy and who is true. He who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. So Jesus is identifying himself as he does in all the letters, but he starts out by saying, I'm the guy who is holy. I am the guy who is separate. I am healthy. I am what you need. The word whole and the word health come from the same root word. And it's the idea of that's who I am. I'm holy. I'm healthy. I'm bringing healing to you. I am separate. I am distinct. But as he says, I'm holy and true. Now, our first reaction to true means, oh, you're telling the truth as opposed to you're saying something that's false. But true can be used in two different senses. This word in the Greek is the term that means true in the sense of real as opposed to fake. And we could say, we would say that about people. He's a real true person or you can believe what he has to say. It's a little different function. So Jesus is saying, I am real. I'm not fake. I'm not pretend. The implication is there are a lot of alternatives out there that aren't real. I'm the real one. And so then he goes on and again he says, I have the key to David, meaning it's a prophetic reference referring to the fact that I have the key to the city. I have access. I can do whatever I want. That's the kind of power that I have. He lets them know. But then in verse 8, he turns his attention to this church and he says, I know your works. I know what you're doing. He says this to all the churches. I watch you. I see how you do your daily life. I see what is productive for you. I see what's unproductive for you. I know. So I'm the holy one. I am the one with the authority. I am real and I know you. And so then he says, I know your works. And he said, see, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. He's like, I have the keys to everything and I have opened a door for you and nobody can get in the way of the plans that I have for your life. This is such an important picture for us to understand. He doesn't say, I give you the keys and you can open any door that you want. Or if you beat on a door long enough, that door will open for you. You just need to be persistent. You just need to be a visionary. He's like, no, I've already opened a door for you with my keys. And And I think it's important for them and for all of us to consider God has opened certain doors for us. There are other doors he hasn't opened. I may want to go in that door that's not opened, but Jesus is saying, the opportunity that you have is an opportunity I have given you. And I want you to understand, nobody can shut that down. Now, if you try to slide in some other way, climb over the fence, you might get tossed out. But if you are understanding that the doors that I open for you are opportunities that I've given you, I think it's such an important life lesson for all of us, and it's certainly important for a church to understand. There are certain opportunities that I have presented to you Those are opportunities that I want you to pursue. You you can't, like as a church, you can't say, I want to be something different, appeal to somebody different, so let's change everything to to revamp it. So 
because I don't accept who I am. I want to be something else. It's the same thing in your life. I don't like the position that I'm in. I need to find another position. Jesus is saying, no, take the door that I've opened for you. I'm the guy with the keys. Nobody can shut you down if you're going through the door that I've opened for you. And then he goes on, for you have a little strength and have kept my word and have not denied my name. This is the heart of the letter. You have a little strength. That word strength, dunamis, means the ability to do stuff. It's the ability to move something. We, we have the English word dynamic. That's the opposite of static. Static means it's fixed. Dynamic means it's moving. So he's telling them, hey, with who I have made you, you have some dynamic. You have some strength. But it's a little bit of strength. He doesn't give them a pep talk and say, you can do anything, anything that you want to do, anything you set your mind to. If you think positive enough, you can do it. He goes, no, I've specifically given you a little bit of strength, just enough to do what I've called you to do. Enough for you to function within the realm of my calling for you, of that door that's open. You have the ability to go through that door. That's all I'm asking of you. But he goes on and says, you have a little strength. And some, sometimes we look at this, okay, you have strength. You've kept my word. You haven't denied my name. But between strength and kept my word is a Greek conjunction, chi, that in this particular construction, it means, you know, uh, you know it, he's saying, you have strength a little bit of strength, and on the basis of that little strength, here's what you're doing. And so it's like, even you have specifically a little strength, and that is what is going to allow you to do what you're called to do. And so you've kept my word. Uh, To keep his word, I mean, it was super important because the whole word of God was being collected. They had the Old Testament. They actually had it in Greek by now as well. And, you know, the, most of the books of the New Testament had been written and were being compiled. But he said, you keep or you have valued, you have protected my word. For a church, this is the ultimate question. What are you doing with the word of God? See, it would be easy to go outside the realm of our calling and figure out other things that we could do other than the word of God because the word of God is like, well, God, I've been reading it for, for me 68 years. I think I've kind of covered it. There must be something more. And again, as a church, we're always studying the Bible. Everything that we study comes from the word of God. Now, it doesn't mean the way that we traditionally do it, Genesis to Revelation. Obviously, that's not what he's talking about because it hadn't been put together like that. Even Paul, when he said to the Ephesian elders, I I didn't hold back from you the whole counsel of God. But the whole thing is, our curriculum is set. It's what does God say? What is his word? And again, that may seem boring. There are a lot of churches in those days and in this day that decide that I can find something with a little more pizzazz than just Bible studies. And so there, you know, you could do a sermon on the events, current events. Let's do a sermon on what's happening in the Middle East and who's going to be the Antichrist. 
yeah, that's really exciting. Or you can, I mean, I saw somebody sent me a thing this week of a church that is doing a whole series of messages on movies. And the pastor and his wife had dressed up like people from Toy Story. So, yeah, cool. I, I, I didn't watch it, but I, I wanted to watch it. Because that has to be more exciting than going through the verses of Scripture and just doing it. But if we're the church of Jesus, we need to, we're going to be held accountable for what we do by keeping his word. And the idea of keeping it or protecting it, we protect its integrity, we protect its preservation, we protect people understanding it, and we protect it as being the basis for our curriculum, not something else, not current events, not politics. Not, it's like, no, it's the word of God. What does God say? We can wrestle with all that it means and how to apply it. That's fun too. But if we don't start with the scripture, if instead we go, you know, some of the Bible, we just kind of push it aside. It doesn't matter as much. Most of what Jesus was talking about, by the way, was the Old Testament at this point. You have preserved it. You have kept it. People wrote down all the things that Jesus said. Those were really important. And he will judge a church based on whether or not it's a church of the word of God. Even acknowledging that isn't the most popular way to do church. It would be much easier to just look at, you know, well, what happened this week in current events? And let's, you know, go with that. He said, you guys have an open door. And I like the fact that my word is what matters to you, that you preserve it, that you are taught it. I'm so thankful for the way that I've been taught the word of God my entire life. And I continue to love. I don't ever look like, I wish I could do something other than teaching the Bible. The Bible's alive and powerful. And I, sometimes I need to protect it because there are people who would go, well, you know, by our modern awarenesses, some of this scripture we just need to kind of put aside because it really, you know, doesn't deal with the issues of the day. See, I don't have the liberty of saying, we're just going to scratch those parts of the Bible that we don't like. And I certainly don't have the opportunity to just say, what I need to do is what I think is the most important issue of the day. I think a lot of times it's easy in church. You, go, you have a bunch of people. It's like, wow, we should make this about politics because all these people are voters. And I need to tell you how important it is that you know, we can make a difference. We can change. We can turn this country around. We can turn this state around. We can do... It, that sounds really good. It's just a lie. It just goes completely against what Jesus says the church is supposed to be, that we are here to present his word. After we finish the study through the seven churches, I'm going to start a series, and we're going to look at specific Bible verses that I think everyone should have memorized. Bible memory is so important. <laughs> Hiding his word in your heart makes such a difference. And so I really want to revive that. And I know you have it in your phone, you know, but to memorize the word of God is a meditation that's really beneficial. And it's something that I think sometimes we need to revive. It's not a growing trend. Memorizing scripture certainly isn't isn't, isn't trending on social media, but it's what ends up 
making a difference in our lives. And so protecting his word, keeping his word, that's what the church does. It means every week I have to get up here and go, there's a lot that I'd like to say, but turn in your Bibles. We're going to look at what the Bible says. I, I remember talking to Pastor Chuck as there were different things happening politically. And I said, hey, Chuck, what would have happened if during the Jesus movement you had got up there and endorsed Richard Nixon in front of all those hippies? And he goes, oh, my. He said, <laughs> he said the Jesus movement would have died in one day. And I always think of that. I remember that. What did he do? He just got up and taught the word of God. It doesn't change. And as a result, most people end up changing their politics and everything else as God begins to work in their heart. But if we let the church become something, uh, the church isn't even a center for evangelism. It's not just primarily the place where we can present the gospel. It's the place where the word of God is taught. That's what we need. It's as Paul said, the church is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And so Jesus shares in that conviction and says, I like what you're doing by guarding my word, guarding it against other things that might push it out, guarding it against other things that might seem to be more effective. You know, it'll never be the biggest when you're in the word of God, but Jesus will look at it and say, that's what I want you to do. That's what you're called to do. You've kept my word, and you haven't denied my name. Now, the word there, namas for name, this isn't saying that they're saying, well, we need to call Jesus something else. Maybe we need to call him a life for it. No, they're using his name. Jesus talks about this a few times where he says, you say you're doing it in my name, but I don't even know you. His name the word, the, the, the word name refers to someone's character. So he's saying, you are in the word and it is consistent with my character. You are not making me look like a hustler. You're not making me look like a celebrity. You're not making me look like a businessman. You are making me look like a savior who died on a cross. See, there's a reason why the cross became a huge symbol for Christianity because Jesus, you know, Paul mentioned that too. Hey, I declare Jesus Christ and him crucified. You're like, go on, how about risen? Of course he taught the resurrection, but the crucifixion was important because that's something that Jesus said, if you want to come after me, you'll deny yourself and take up your cross daily and follow me. It's what we need to understand the most, his character. Now, if we say, I could take Jesus and give him a modern character. I could take Jesus and clean him up and make him look like whoever it is that you like nowadays. Like some of these, hey, Jesus is just like you. He's woke too. Or Jesus is Jesus like, I appreciate that you kept my word and that you kept my character. That you did not sell me out so that you could get more followers, so that you could expand what your image and idea of life is. And so then he talks about the synagogue of Satan, probably a reference to some Jews who were there who were trying to make everybody become Jews in order to be Christians. And they were alienating the Gentiles and pushing them away. 
He said, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they're Jews and are not. They don't even understand Judaism. They're liars. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. It doesn't mean that these people are, end up, are going to end up worshiping the Christians, the church. In fact, the word worship, a lot, it, it doesn't necessarily imply that at all. The idea is those who are puffing themselves up, I'm going to humble them. I'm going to bring them down. They're going to realize that what you were saying and what I was saying was really what matters most. And then he says, behold, I am coming quickly. Well, first, because you've kept my command to persevere, I will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Now he's talking about the rest of Revelation, most of which is about this tribulation period. So he's telling them, you know, you're going through some hard times, but the ultimate hard time, the judgment that is meant to judge sin, I'm going to keep you from it. Don't worry. Now, for me, this is at least a hint of the fact that they're going to be taken away when you combine it with what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 4, This is one reason why I believe that the rapture of the church happens before the tribulation period. I think they probably would have understood it, especially after they read Revelation and then got this letter from Jesus saying, don't worry, I'm going to protect you from that. It's going to come as a judgment. And then in verse 11, behold, I am coming quickly. doesn't mean like, okay, now it's 92 AD. I'll be here before 95. No, coming quickly just means it's going to happen suddenly. It's going to surprise you. You're not going to expect it. You're not going to see it coming. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. You know, just keep doing what you're doing. Hold on to my word. Go through those simple doors that I open. Understand that you have a little strength. Don't think that you're going to be a winner and that you can see God's hand based on how good you're doing. Hang on to that little bit of capacity that I give you and continue to share my word and my character. And if you overcome, you'll be a pillar. You know, you're going to get a crown. You're going to be a pillar in the temple of my God, which would have meant a lot to them in Philadelphia because they had pillars everywhere where temples had fallen over and they would eventually... Um, you know, have to build on them again, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. We read about that in the end of the book of Revelation. It's also, you know, the idea, they would write names on their pillars so that after the temple fell over, they'd remember which one was which. So he says, I'm going to write my name. And, And then he goes on and says, And I will write on him a new name. The new Jerusalem comes down from heaven. I will write on the person who overcomes my new name. Now it's like, hey, does Jesus have another name? I don't know. But probably what when he says my new name, he's probably saying, I have a special name for you. You got your name because you were born and somebody named you something for whatever reason. But I have a special name for you, a pet name. I have a special nickname. I have a special connection of intimacy with you. And that's going to be there. And you're going to be there. And then he says, 
If you have an ear, hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You've got to be prepared to listen to this. And so for me, this letter to Philadelphia is super important because if we're a church, we want to go, okay, what's the church supposed to be like? And we aren't supposed to decide what to do based on what will be popular. We're not supposed to decide what to do based on whatever my pet peeve happens to be or based on whatever the agenda of the day is. We are people of the word. I, I understand there's only so much we can do. And that helps. I'm glad that my job is not to win everyone. My job is not to make us have six services. My job is just to be faithful. Whoever comes here, I want to feed them with the word of God. I want to share that truth. And at the same time, I don't want to misrepresent him when I do it. There are people who teach the word, but they do it in such a way that it makes it look like a lie. They do it in such a way that it's like, Jesus would never do that. And so we become distorted. Things become twisted. I understand. You know, as an American, I care about what's going on in our country and the world. But I have to separate that from what's happening here in the Word of God. If I keep using the Bible to hammer people to my particular political persuasion or my particular moral persuasion, then I'm, what I'm going to do is push people away instead of draw people to the power of the living Word of God. If the shoe fits, wear it. You read the Bible, you teach the Bible, eventually we all come to get his character we all come to understand what he says. But in the meantime, we need to just be faithful to, who, what, to what God says. And I would pray for all of us that we would know, right now, there's a door that's open. Are you going through it? Are you waiting? You should feel really good if you go, I had an opportunity open to me, and I went through that, and I'm doing what he's called me to do. Then Jesus would go, good job. That's all I ask from you. Not to find more doors, not to conquer bigger mountains, not to become... It's, and if you have an opportunity to talk to people about the word, it's the most important thing ever. To be able to share with somebody, hey, I saw this verse and I, and I thought of you as I was praying for you. God, what a huge privilege that is. It's powerful. It's what Jesus says, I like when you guys do that. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. We take it for granted. We've been taught so well. We look at it and go, yeah, we know the Bible more than most people do. Now what? Please stress to us that the now what is still your word and your character, representing you as the lamb who was slain, representing your truth in a way that's faithful to your character and what you say. God, may we hide your word in our hearts. May we, as we go into, after we finish up with the seven churches, I pray that for many of us, it would be a renewed opportunity to take your word and make it a part of our lives, make it a part of our hearts. We know that's where your heart is. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.